Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates, your host for this edition of the Women and Manufacturing Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S. I also run a global supply chain consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where I help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences with us. We're looking for insights from women leaders, really special women leaders. Today, I'm just delighted to welcome my friend Rebecca Fannin as my guest. Rebecca is founder of the news and events group Silicon Dragon Ventures. Her journalistic career covering global innovation began in Silicon Valley during the dot-com era. Following the venture capital trail to Asia, she was one of the first American journalists to write about China's entrepreneurial boom, interviewing Jack Ma of Alibaba and Robin Lee of Baidu, among others. She's a regular media commentator and speaker, focusing on investments in emerging technology companies. I met Rebecca a few years ago, just after we had each published our first books on China. Mine was focused on manufacturing, and Rebecca's was focused on innovative companies and investment. Welcome, Rebecca. Oh, hi, Rosemary. Great to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. We have a series of questions that we're going to go through over the next 20 or 25 minutes or so. Feel free to jump in if you want to add any responses or any additional comments beyond the questions. So first, can you please tell us about Silicon Dragon Ventures, what you do, and, and also about your three famous books? Let me start with the books. Silicon Dragon was the first one, which was published in... 2008, and it profiled the leading entrepreneurs of the time in China. So we covered Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, and a new group of innovators that were coming up in China at that time. Now fast forward a few years, then my second book, Startup Asia, explored the landscape throughout Asia and how some of the China innovations were spilling over into other markets, including India primarily. I spent a lot of time in the market researching and interviewing the leaders in both China and India and other markets in Asia. There was a section in that book on Vietnam also, which is, of course, a hot spot right now, right? That's true. I think I was a little early on that one. I may have been a little early on India, but this has kind of been my career progress is always being a little early, which is good. My third book was Tech Titans of China, which just came out a few months ago. And this documents the rise of Chinese tech companies, how they're innovating faster, they're working harder, they're going global. There are many, many examples in the book, such as TikTok, the media entertainment company, or app from China that's really taken off like wildfire. There are many other examples that I talk about in the book, but between the first book and the third book, it's light years of difference because the whole innovation landscape has changed so dramatically in the last 12 years. But that's a little bit about my books. I yeah, can talk it's funny because about- uh, 
now that everybody's online, you know, you see all these kids and well, and adults too doing TikTok all the time. It's funny. Yeah. I hadn't really heard of them until I read your book and now I see it everywhere. Right. Well, so some of these Chinese tech innovations are spilling over into the Western world. So a little bit about Silicon Dragon Ventures. I started that as its own media business in 2010, right after Silicon Dragon was published, the book. So Silicon Dragon Ventures publishes a weekly newsletter and we publish videos. We also have a new series, Ask a VC Anything, that we do every week where we cover many of the current trends and topics and issues that are going on in the venture capital space. That's something new that just launched out of this COVID-19 era that we're in because we had to take our events part of our business online, at least for now. We have typically done about eight events per year overseas, well, in leading technology markets, including Israel, London, Hong Kong, Beijing, Shanghai, and many U.S. cities too, New York City, Silicon Valley, L.A. But we took our events that we have been doing since the start now online, and we'll have to see how the future unfolds. But I do kind of like this online forum. As you probably remember, I you know attended a number of events in the Bay Area with the old format where you had people show up and did panel discussions and so forth, as well as in Shanghai, I attended one of the events there. And I've listened to the podcast. They're really, and if and people are interested in global investments and where technology is happening, they're full of content and always very interesting. These are actually weekly webinars. I also run a podcast too, but lately my attention has been on these weekly webinars, Ask a VC Anything. And I've decided to bring my New York annual forum and my LA annual forum online because it's just too iffy to have a live event today. You don't know whether how things are going to unfold. So it's safer to have it online. And in a way, it's better online because you can do it globally. Silicon Dragon is really global. Yeah. And especially, you know, with the kind of people that you attract, the high level VCs and you know, these global people that are so busy, it's probably easier for everybody to log in and listen online. You don't have to travel anywhere. And I, I really like it too. I think it's excellent. All your books are available on Amazon, right? Yes, they are. They are on Amazon. There's an audio version of Tech Titans of China that's available. It's on Kindle format. It's coming out in six or seven different languages very soon, including in China, Korea, Russia, Indonesia, a few other markets as well. So we have many translation editions coming out. So there's three formats, the print book, the digital book, or the audio book. What's your educational background? How did you end up in the world of global journalism and innovation and venture capital? Well, I partly blame my parents who were academics. Uh, my father, a history professor, my mother, a kindergarten teacher. And we used to travel in the summers as a family. I got used to that early on, being around different cultures, going new places, experiencing new things. And after I graduated with a degree in journalism, which really fits my personality pretty well because <laughs> I'm constantly curious. I like to hear about new things. I like to 
be around people who are innovative and creative. And so that all came together beginning in New York City, where I went right after graduation. I went to school at Ohio University, where my father was a history professor. So I have deep roots in Ohio, but I went to New York City immediately after graduation and had a job on working in magazines for many years until I became editor of a publication called International Business, owned by the Pulitzer family. And they sent me to Hong Kong for the first time. I had actually been traveling overseas on business uh, as a journalist, and I went to Hong Kong prior to the handover from Great Britain to China, the handover of China. So it was a very interesting time in uh, Hong Kong and China, and I uh, jumped right in and started covering that more regularly as a journalist. Eventually, I was working in Hong Kong for magazines, and then I worked in Beijing and Shanghai as well for various magazines, always talking about business and sometimes writing about travel as well, which I like to do. And from there, I got a call from Red Herring Magazine in Silicon Valley, which was looking for someone to edit their international newsletters. So I took the job and it was hard to turn down because that back then we were in the middle of the dot-com boom and the uh, salaries were pretty tempting. And I started working for Silicon Valley. Unfortunately, the dot-com boom didn't last all that long. And everyone got laid off from Red Herring Magazine, um, including yours truly. I've always been able to pick right up. And I started working again in Hong Kong. And that really led me to catch the entrepreneurial boom in China right at the right time, right as it was happening. So I was really the first American journalist over there writing about all this stuff and getting to meet people like Jack Ma of Alibaba and Robin Lee of Baidu and all the leading venture capitalists of China, like Neil Shen of Sequoia Capital China. Very exciting time. And yeah. from there, I just started my own media business because, I, you know, partly because I got inspired by all these Chinese entrepreneurs I was interviewing, the Asian entrepreneurs I was interviewing. And I think it became ingrained. Maybe I'm just a true entrepreneur. I seem to have, you know, done pretty well at it. That's fantastic. I love that adventurous spirit. I know you've traveled the world, and like you mentioned, Western Europe, reporting there in Israel and all throughout Asia and the U.S., mm -hmm. and you've seen all kinds of companies and all kinds of manufacturing sites. Can you describe a few that stand out for you? Well, it's hard to pick them, but uh, I think an experience I had with interviewing Jack Ma of Alibaba when I went to Hangzhou to interview him. It was not easy to get that interview even then. And this, I'm talking about 2006. I was in Shanghai and my flight back to Hong Kong was supposed to be a day after. I got the call, I got the okay, I got the nod that Jack Mullen agreed to the interview. He was gonna be in Hangzhou, which is about two hour drive or train ride away from Shanghai. I quickly managed to get myself over to Hangzhou interviewed him, which was a spectacular opportunity because he's a very dynamic entrepreneur, wonderful personality of probably the only real globally known technology entrepreneur in the world from China. And I got the interview and I got back to Shanghai and got the flight. But, wow. you know, these are experiences like that. I also remember being in Shanghai during SARS 
we're now going through this COVID coronavirus situation. Well, I just missed it in China because I came back from Hong Kong, southern China on January 16, 17, and just missed it. I mean, it was there, but we didn't know about it at the time. And if January 23rd is when actually the news broke that, hey, this was happening. This virus was spreading in China. And I had just gotten back. Wow. I was in Shanghai during SARS as well as one of the few Westerners left, I think, when I caught the plane to go to Hong Kong. And I see everyone wearing masks in Shanghai. No one was wearing masks because the news was not getting out about SARS. When I got to Hong Kong, everyone was wearing masks and people were escaping Hong Kong then too for flights back to the U.S. or wherever. I waited until I could get a flight out. It was a bit scary. Yeah, I can mm -hmm. imagine. And just yeah. as it is now. Yeah. Well, I actually think it's worse now. But yeah, that whole idea of, you know, this unknown virus got to be scary. Well, um, are there other manufacturing sites around the world that you remember? Well, I went to visit Huawei in southern China. And their campus is it's really like a campus. I just called it a campus. It's a headquarters, but it looks more like a university campus. It's so huge. It's dozens and dozens of buildings. I got the tour of the place. I got to see some of their new innovations coming out in telecom and wireless connectivity. Another company that I visited is JD, the drone manufacturer in mm -hmm. southern China. I was just there in November. They gave me a tour of their facility and demonstrated many of their different types of drones. And that was fun. Uh -huh. That was fun to see that. So in your travels and particularly focusing on China, how do you think the trade wars and the pandemic are going to change the global business landscape other than just the travel that you were talking about? Well, I think that the pushback by the U.S. to China is going to strengthen. We're going to see new regulations result. We're going to see more nationalism result. We're going to see less trade, I think, with China. More nationalism in the U.S. or China or both? I think in both. We're seeing a now very that, low point in U.S.-China relations now. From your perspective, how did the Chinese view this trade war? My contacts in China are telling me that the general attitude is fairly unfavorable towards the U.S., just as in the U.S., the attitude towards China is deteriorating as well. I do think so. There are certain companies that are trying to push back against that. I give Huawei credit for having a very effective public relations, key opinion leader kind of program that can try to shift the attitude of Americans and other people, others in the Western world about Huawei and whether it really is a threat or not. We're, we're seeing a mm -hmm. situation where we did have a lot of collaboration between China and the U.S. in manufacturing, in trade, in technology, in investment, and now we're starting to see a separation. The U.S. trade war was the beginning of this breaking apart of moving supply chains outside of China, and now the tech war took effect and made that stronger. And companies regard China as a threat in the technology world now because you have the U.S. and China are the two superpowers in technology innovation. The third factor came into play, which is the coronavirus. 
Yeah, I think in the U.S., our politicians are trying to make China the fall guy for the virus and attempting to create a further gap between the U.S. and China in terms of our relationship. I'm curious if you agree that that's caused um, both countries to look inward and to sort of put the foot on the gas pedal in terms of accelerating technology development in each country separately. So more of a race than a cooperation as it kind of was in the past few years. I definitely think so. My first book had the subtitle, How China is Winning the Tech Race. This is back in 2008. And obviously, you know, for our listeners too, a lot of people in manufacturing, the ability to innovate and to introduce new products and further the technology perspective is very important for manufacturers. And obviously, if we're in the Pearl River Valley in China and you're working on 5G, artificial intelligence, some of these advanced ideas, those are going to trickle down to manufacturing of products as well as will influence manufacturing processes in general. It makes me wonder if the competition is going to help or hinder that innovation. I think it's going to hinder it. I think global innovation, working together is a plus, getting the best from both markets, working together to get a cure for the coronavirus, a vaccine. But I think we're not working together very well. But I'm thinking on the manufacturing side, the use of robots I think that that's going to escalate now in factories in China because of the coronavirus, and it probably will escalate around the world. Yeah, I think that's a very good observation. That's my observation as well, is that, you know, we're going to come out of this on the other end, thinking through all kinds of innovative ideas and applications for manufacturing that we're sort of lukewarm about in the past. But now Mm -hmm. with distancing and hygiene measures that we've never seen before in manufacturing sites... We're going to have to introduce things like robotics to facilitate that whole movement towards more separation and a safer environment for workers. Right. And delivery by robots, too. Drone deliveries? Well, drone deliveries and robots going autonomous driving vehicles. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of work in the trucking industry and autonomous trucking, which sounds a little scary. you got an (laughs) 18-wheeler on the road next to you and no driver. Right. Right. But I think these kind of ideas are something we have to get used to, just like we got used to using computers and cell phones. And, you know, it's technology that's coming that we, at least in my opinion, we should embrace. I agree with you. I think a global approach to innovation and to new technologies, and we like competition. I think that's good, but we also should cooperate. In, In time of the pandemic, that's certainly true. We ought to be working with everyone around the world to find some kind of cure or vaccine or whatever. I think, you know, cutting off some of the other countries around the world isn't going to help us very much or very fast. Do you think venture capitalists will start to focus more on a American innovation now and shy away from China? Or will the U.S. and China become more competitive for investments? Yeah, it's an interesting question because some venture capitalists in Silicon Valley that have done U.S. and China investing for years and have had some of their biggest success stories from China are now wanting to be known as global venture firms, not U.S.-China venture firms. Investments in other countries? Yeah, they want to be known as a global venture firm. And I think we're still seeing 
a core group of venture capital firms that are active in China that have raised new funds. In fact, Qiming, one of the leaders in China-U.S. venture capital, just raised a $1.1 billion fund to invest more in China. Another company, another venture firm, Vickers Venture, just raised several hundred million dollars for a new fund to invest in China. There are others that are raising new funds now, too, to invest in China. You know, valuations are lower right now. It's a good time to invest. They always say, oh, great ideas come out of these downturns. So we'll see. I think China investment into the U.S. is definitely slowed. The uh, Baidu, yeah. Alibaba, Tencent of the world that we're investing heavily in the U.S., not just in technology, but in real estate and many sectors, yeah. Hollywood, yeah. that's all slowed down considerably. Yeah, an investment in food manufacturing in pork, right? So yeah. they bought Smithfield. You know, the Chinese have purchased a number of high-profile companies across the board in the U.S. that manufacture goods as well. That's yeah, right. it's really interesting how that slowed down considerably. Right. Didn't they buy Smithfield? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Smithfield a couple of years ago, right. The big pork processing company. Yeah. And they've been big in the news lately, too. That's um, true. I think Washington, D.C. and Beijing are not getting along. The tech world is its own world. The tech world, the venture capital world, doesn't have this strong bias against China. Here in Silicon Valley, we've been around Chinese entrepreneurs, Indian entrepreneurs, people from all walks, and it's more ingrained in the culture in Silicon Valley. But now that Washington, D.C. has made this a political issue, I don't think it's going to be going away anytime soon. I think President Trump is determined to make this a big campaign issue. Yes, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, from an innovation perspective, that's not very helpful. There are just a lot of different views. Manufacturing environment tends to be pretty conservative and ethnocentric. In America, I think there's a preference for supporting and pushing for breakthrough innovation for just America. As you're talking and, you know, as we've heard and seen over the past 20 years, the tech world doesn't operate that way. They're more global in nature and considering the blossoming of technology across the world, not specifically where or having a bias for one country or another. I remember I was just watching a video clip of a Fox Business interview with Lindsey Graham where they played a clip from the past in the 1970s where there was a strong Made in the USA campaign that they showed for the International Garment Workers Labor Union. And today is what? Labor Day, right? May 1st. (laughs) They Uh showed that clip and made in the USA. That used to be a really strong message. And we went to more of a global things being made all over the world. And now we seem to be going back more to the made in the USA. That's true. And of course, I run the Reshoring Institute. So we see this and work with companies all the time. But yeah, I think there is an emphasis now being placed on manufacturing in the US and developing manufacturing in the US. But I can also tell you that our clients are not naive. So, you know, many of them are manufacturing today in foreign locations, China, Mexico, India, Eastern Europe, places where they can take advantage of low-cost labor, at the same time want to develop their manufacturing in the U.S. It's an evolution. You know, it's the next thing is to think about 
a global manufacturing strategy instead of going back to 1960s where we were only focused on American manufacturing. I think that's a very interesting development where you hear one thing on the news or from the politicians, but actually manufacturing has a a more global view, at least in my experience. And I think that's what's going to come out in the future. One powerful outcome was that story of the American factory. They made a movie of it at the Dayton Automotive Manufacturing Company being taken over by a Chinese company. And they turned it around. Yeah, that was a very, very interesting movie, a documentary that came out last year called American Factory. Yeah, I'd recommend that too. It just, it brought up all kinds of interesting questions and thoughts. And, you know, if you go into it with an open mind, you can see that there are lots of arguments on both sides. Mm. So we're about at the end of our time here, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I think it's interesting to have a technology perspective and innovation perspective on the world and how that will affect global manufacturing. I really appreciate it. Can you give us your contact information? Yeah, sure. Uh, my website is silicondragonventures.com. The best email to get to me is news at silicondragonventures.com. And of course, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, all the social media, Silicon Dragon and Rebecca Fannin. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, thanks, Rosemary. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, too. So, for our listeners, you can listen to more podcasts on the Women in Manufacturing website, which is www.womenandmfg. So, women and spelled out, and then mfg.com. You can also reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org and visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Thanks again and have a great day. Bye now. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.